0: This podcast series is based on a book called Beyond Reasonable Greed, Why Sustainable Business is a Much Better Idea, by Wayne Visser and Clem Sumter, read by myself, Wayne Visser. Work, an elephant's playground. Having a leader's inspiring vision is one thing, But it is like whistling in the wind unless people in the workplace are able to express their own inherent magic, their creativity and imagination, their values and passions. As Anita Roddick says, people become motivated when you guide them to the source of their own power. And yet lion companies don't seem all that interested in the personal magic of their employees. The problem is that magic is, well, a bit unpredictable, and a tad scary, too. It cannot be reliably channeled in service of the almighty buck, and it usually involves a lot of flaky intuition and gooey emotions. I mean, how can hunting be efficient if it is subject to the whims of a muse, or constantly distracted by feelings of compassion for the other animals? No, when employees are at work, they must be constantly reminded of their mission, that they are lions hunting down prey. Customers, market share, profits, anything that glitters. They must focus on the corporate mission, the sales objectives, the quarterly review. Time is money, therefore they must be strongly discouraged from spending any work time on socializing, resting, playing, eating or attending to personal matters. They must do these things after hours, as if life after work doesn't really take place in real time. The ideal employee of the line company is one who arrives at work early, checks in his or her personal life at the door, and goes straight into profit-making overdrive. It helps with the focus if they can switch off their feelings as well, since work is a place for rational individuals. And as for creativity and intuition, well, we talked about that already. It's not that they're bad as such, it's just that they are so difficult to control and they don't translate easily into data tables and bar charts. If the truth be told, they're just not very macho. There is a problem, of course, humans. They are not machines or computers. In fact, they almost insist on being unfocused, And as a general rule, they're not very rational either. They have emotions, not to mention all their distracting demands, no work on weekends, big chunks of idle leave, irresponsible bouts of illness and pension payments when they become worn out. That's why lion companies have ingeniously invented a multitude of bribery mechanisms, incremental salary increases, incentive bonuses, pretentious job titles, offices with a door and even a view, as well as behavioural rules like policies, procedures and systems. In return, of course, many employees of lion companies adopt their own version of lion-like behaviour. When they go to the office, they go to war with their rivals, or they work to rule, or they chisel extras out of their travel and expense accounts on the basis that, if the company is going to be a predator... So can I. Elephant companies, on the other hand, do something that is almost unimaginable. They accept humans as humans. They don't try to turn us into machines. In fact, they encourage us to express all aspects of our humanness. For example, they realize that we function according to natural rhythms, not artificial clock time. We all have cycles of productivity over the course of a day. We are also remarkably good at multi-processing and multitasking. It stimulates us and keeps us from getting tired, bored and unproductive. In an elephant work environment, there is no fussing about start times and end times or being in the office versus working at home. There is no need to feel guilty about attending the odd distraction. Employees don't build up stress as they do in lion companies because all the bits and pieces of life are being neglected, like family and household chores and personal banking. Don't get us wrong, elephant companies do not offer a license for slackness and corruption. By treating their staff as responsible adults, their staff apply their own codes of conduct to themselves, which are probably stricter than the external rules would be they feel a sense of duty, they have self-discipline. Thus, it is often hard to tell work apart from personal or fun, or any other lifestyle choice in an elephant company, whereas lion companies prefer to put them in boxes. Elephants' fuzziness is very frustrating to a lion manager, of course. Elephants seem to just mosey around all day, nibbling a bit of this, dusting a bit of that, chatting to some friends here, splashing around in a mud hole there. They're not very focused on the prey at all. Look at all that time they take for family bonding, for having fun in the water, for catching up with the gossip from passing friends. There's none of the stress of being a hunter. Mind you, they don't starve. In fact, they seem to do very well despite not being obsessed about food. Hmm, interesting. One CEO of an elephant company has Walt Disney mementos all around his office, which he calls his playroom. In particular, he has a large effigy of Mickey Mouse next to his desk. This is to remind all the important people that come to see him that he is head of a Mickey Mouse company that wants to have some fun. The aforementioned SEMCO corporation allows its employees to control their own working conditions. Time clocks have been eliminated, and people come and go according to their own schedules, even on the factory floor. The result is greater spontaneous coordination between workers and more people who can now do several jobs. Interestingly, although they set their own schedules and targets, or perhaps because they do, They tend to work longer hours to meet them. The success of this factory floor flexi-time is summed up by one of Ricardo Semler's comments. When we introduced flexible work hours, we decided to hold regular follow-up meetings to track problems and decide how to deal with abuses and production interruptions. That was years ago, and we haven't held that first meeting yet. So, working like an elephant is not about becoming completely scattered and ineffective. It is about being flexible, discovering the most appropriate times to work and play and socialize, or do a combination of these. When we can reconnect to our natural rhythms and apply them to our work, we play to our own individual strengths. At the same time, we work out ways to find a harmonious blend with each other's natural cycles. This increases, not decreases, our productivity. The reason is that we're not spending vast amounts of energy fighting our own natural tendencies. At the moment, most of us in lion workplaces feel obliged to persevere with rolling rocks up a hill in the morning, even though we know that in the afternoon the landscape will be flatter and the rocks will feel lighter. Shape shifting will mean sloughing off some of the lion's control freak habits trusting others more, and having a less regimented environment. Being human at work is also about being able to be ourselves, our whole selves. Lion companies take their cue from neoclassical economics and assume that people are free, rational, utility-maximizing individuals. Professionalism in management is regularly equated with hard-headed rationality noted the Tom Peters and Robert Waterman duo who wrote In Search of Excellence. The problem with the rationalist view of organising people, they went on to say, is that people are not very rational. To fit Frederick Taylor's old model of scientific management, or today's organisational charts, they concluded that humans are simply designed wrong, or of course vice versa, according to how you argue it. In fact, they said If our understanding of the current state of psychology is even close to correct, humans are the ultimate study in conflict and paradox. The successful performance of split brain surgery in the 1960s and 1970s seems to confirm this view as well as to lend further insight. In treating 25 patients for severe epilepsy, doctors found that not only can the two hemispheres of our brain operate independently, but they also seem to control essentially opposite functions. While the left brain is associated with rational and intellectual engagements, the right brain is oriented towards intuitive and creative processes. Canadian business professor Henry Mintzberg was the first to spot the implications for business which is set forth in a 1976 article in the Harvard Business Review called Planning on the Left Side and Managing on the Right. The key managerial processes, he remarked, are enormously complex and mysterious, drawing on the vaguest of information and using the least articulated mental processes. These processes seem more relational and holistic than ordered and sequential, and more intuitive than intellectual. They seem to be most characteristic of right hemispheric brain activity. This theme of duality and balance is one that the ancient Chinese understood well and is represented in their Tai Chi symbol, which depicts the flow of opposites within a greater whole. Contained within the circular symbol, the one extreme, yang, represents masculine, active, competitive, and rigid characteristics while yin encapsulates the feminine, passive, cooperative, and flexible aspects. Lions are yang, elephants are yin. And most of today's companies are yang companies, praising hard qualities like rationality and assertiveness, and poo-pooing soft traits like intuition and compassion. It is not hard to diagnose whether your company is a lion or an elephant, Just count the number of times words like love and caring and morality crop up in management meetings, or how often people feel comfortable enough to cry at the office. Former head of chemical giant ICI once said that the word love was as threatening in business as talking about an unexpected liability on the balance sheet. Author and Fortune 500 company director James Autry makes the same point in his inspiring book called Love and Profit. Feelings are seen as a weakness in the testosterone-dominated corporate world. One chairman was reported to have asked a colleague why his managers had left the business to join the church. His colleague replied, long-term promotion prospects. It hadn't occurred to the chairman that there might be life after the company. For lions, displaying toughness is all-important, and toughness means dominating meetings and markets, intimidating suppliers and competitors, controlling situations and people. Toughness means showing intellectual superiority and aggressive ambition and not letting emotions cloud your judgment. Elephants, on the other hand, are led by matriarchs. Emotions are openly displayed within the herd, be they affection, grief, or delight. Extrasensory perception is constantly being relied upon. Nurturing intimate relationships is all-important. Trying to turn complex, variable humans into rational, predictable machines has left many people feeling like prisoners, trapped in their jobs, unable to be who they really are. Certainly, given the choice, it is not how they would choose to spend their life. But there's the mortgage to think about, the school fees, the parents' expectations. Even beyond that, so many people we talk to experience feelings of existential crisis in their work. What's it all about, Alfie? They plaintively ask, just as songstress Cilla Black did in the 1960s. Incidentally, she was picked out from the crowd by Brian Epstein, the same man who discovered the Beatles in the cavern in Liverpool. One thing that would help with the existential crisis in business would be a switch from the present focus on jobs to the old idea of vocations. A job is something you do to earn money to get by. It is a means to an end. Thus, people often end up living for the weekend or counting down the days to their retirement. A vocation, on the other hand, is a life pursuit that you do out of a sense of calling a feeling of being uniquely suited for performing a certain kind of work.
1: Mythologist
0: Joseph Campbell talked about following your bliss. How many people can use that word to describe their work? Bliss. You may think that we are spiraling off into a dream world here, an idealist's fantasy, but stay with us. Pursuing a vocation should not be mistaken for some kind of hallucinatory happiness trip free of all cares, worries, stresses, or difficulties. In many ways, following your bliss is more difficult because it entails soul-searching, tenacious endurance, constant questioning, facing fears, shrugging off securities, and stretching every fiber of your being. The difference is that it feels like a personal quest, a freely chosen path, a journey with purpose. Intuitively, we are all searching for this holy grail in our careers, hobbies, or voluntary work. The experiences of Viktor Frankl, outlined in his book Man's Search for Meaning, provide some insight into this heartfelt yearning of ours to make something meaningful of our work. Frankl, a trained psychiatrist, lived through the Nazi concentration camps, And notice that people can endure the most trying and horrific circumstances if they can discover and nurture a sense of personal meaning. Providing there is something to believe in, the human spirit triumphs over physical hardship or emotional trauma. The something can be anything, the achievement of a personal goal, the development of a particular skill, the creation of something unique or beautiful, or the pursuit of a spiritual quest but the essential feature is that it is a personal belief. No one can tell you what should inspire you or motivate you. No one can brainwash you into discovering meaning in your work if it's not your bag. No one can pre-select your vocation for you. Of course, the lion economy makes the pursuit of vocations very difficult. Round people are put in square holes because nobody consulted them about their true desires. Hence, once again the need for multi-level shape-shifting.